as this one tonight against Ottawa comes to an end. And the Ottawa Senators, with another strong performance against the Montreal Canadiens, stymie them once again two times in the same week. A 4-1 win tonight for Ottawa. As much as we were down three in the third, like, you know, we we had a push and I feel like, you know, we can there's a positive. It's it's that hopefully found ourselves a little bit in the third. Hmm. Well, hey, listen, there's always a positive. Yeah. My my positive, Sean, was that at least it was over quickly. Yeah. Martin St. Louis was at least we woke up in the third period. Yours was Cole Caulfield. Correct. His and also, I don't understand. His goal streak ended. How could that be a positive? He was dangerous. Right. Let's, see, let's see if Darren Dreger's got one for us. Good morning, Dregs. Hey, guys. Good morning. What do you think? Uh, this is uh, what a difference a week can make. Uh, we were basking in the glow of a win over the Colorado Avalanche here a week ago, and now here we are looking for answers. Why do the Canadians have such a hard time? Eight losses in a row to the Ottawa Senators. Any, any theories on, mm-hmm. on why it's so tough for them against these guys? No, it's it's it is perplexing. I'm sure from a, a Canadian fan perspective. I mean, maybe there's a bit of a rivalry. I mean, we're not talking about historic rivalry between Ottawa and Montreal, but geographically, maybe there's a little bit of incentive there. You know, I look at it from Ottawa's standpoint, and I'm not looking across the eight game run here by the Sens. I'm, I'm looking just at recent history, and I mean, this team has been kicked in the shin so many times over the last couple of years for sure coming out of the rebuild um maybe maybe they're starting to get it i mean what's undeniable right now is how well ottawa has played of late and maybe they just succumb to you know the constant badgering of uh, an experienced veteran coach in Jacques martin who is just grinding away and making sure that they stay in their structure and and they play the way that you have to play the to beat better teams, not just the Montreal Canadiens. And then, of course, you've got the, you know, the, the, the added twist of the mums trip, a little brief two-gamer um, that uh, paid dividends for the Ottawa Senators. So, for me, if we, if we just drill down on last night, this was more about Ottawa and less about Montreal because things are going well for the Sens of late. I would say their last four or five games, they get Shane Pinto back, he delivers in back-to-back games. So, they've They've had some good things that are bolstering, maybe bolstering a bit beyond where they're actually at. And unfortunately, that came at the expense of the Habs last night. Uh, watching Michael Andlauer uh, down in his old seat there at the Zamboni <laughs> yeah, entrance yeah. last night, and it occurred to me, you know, he there was a really he did a really touching interview with the RDS guys last Thursday night, where he talked about how much it meant to him to to see his team face up to his his team. His Canadians, he called them, yeah, uh, in, yeah. in the uh, interview last week. It's such, a, it seems in a way, a daunting, but really also a dream task, I would think, to try to do what he wants to do, and that is get the Senators yeah. where they should be. I think most of us in this country would agree. You know, where they should they should be downtown. They should be relevant. They, they've got some nice pieces. There's a lot of positivity, but still so much work to do. Yeah. How tough is it going to be? For him, how long does something like that take? I mean, huh. we, we always talk about rebuilds, right? How long it yeah. takes to revamp, rebuild a roster, and all of that. This is a little bit different, though. You really do want to kind of go from the foundation upward. In the case of Ann Lauer, is that something that can take years? Yes, it can. Um, and you know, he he's got reconstruction happening every um, facet of of the organization, right? Um, 
but he's a patient man, patient to a point. And, and so if we just look at hockey operations now, and I, man, I, I vividly recall the conversation he had with the assembled media at the board of governors meetings in Seattle, not that long ago. Right. And he talked about how he wanted to build his front office, similarly to what the Montreal Canadiens have. And he was very specific to Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes. And then lo and behold, Dave Poulin is plucked from a panel TSN and foisted into uh, senior management along with Steve Stales. I, I mean, the two headed monster in Montreal. Yeah, that works. So let's try it in Ottawa. And, so far, so good. Um, and look, I mean, there's a lot of work that needs to get done with that roster, and Stales and company are are committed to doing that. And it's going to be interesting to see how they do that between now and the trade deadline and then drifting into the offseason. But now you take it off the ice. And I'm still not convinced, even though, look, I'm one of those people, I, I stay out in Canada when we do Senators games and, and I'm on site just because of the convenience, Right. Would I prefer to stay downtown? Of course I would. I mean, why wouldn't you? You've got all kinds of things going down. Downtown Ottawa is beautiful, as we know. But, you know, during that trip to Seattle, Anlauer also took in uh, Time and Pledge Arena and got walked around a full tour with architects and people that he brought in um, from Canada to kind of look at, at, at what a new construction might look at and some of the ideas that they could steal from that building in Seattle. And that was more than a renovation in Seattle. That was an overhaul of an old building. They just used the footprint. So I think it's still up in the air and there's still some politics that, that need to get sorted through. You know, people are still championing where it needs to be. You know, is it LeBreton Flats? Is it here? Is it there? I don't think it's completely a dead issue of, of rebuilding the Canadian Tire Center. You know, we'll see. I mean, ultimately... Ann Lauer is going to be the guy that makes that call, but no, Darren, no, he's, he's got all kinds of things happening. No, right now. you no, Canada. No, <laughs> seriously. Well, this is the, I, I mean, feel like they're telling me they're going to, they're going to bring in a, a major league baseball team and put them in yeah. Olympic stadium here in Montreal. We're going to share it with Oakland. <laughs> I, hey, and look, I'm with you. And, and maybe that's yeah. the feedback that, that he's getting. Yeah. It's just, you do have to measure the dollar and the cost of, you know, building a brand new facility versus renovating what you have, but you can't pick it up and move it to make it more convenient for all to, uh, to partake in Sens games. And that has to be, has to be near the top of the list of issues when you're sorting through the pros and cons. We saw Jake Allen in goal last night for the Canadians. I asked Connor at 7.35 this morning if uh, we finally reached the point of the year where the three goaltender strategy is hurting the Canadians in the standings and perhaps even, to be slightly more dramatic, hurting the development of this rebuilding Montreal Canadiens team. Can you see a, a point between now and the next few weeks, if not uh, March 8th, that Ken Hughes says, you know what? We're just going to make a decision now, whether it's a waiver decision or or just a trade for the sake of a trade to get away from the three goaltender system. I, I could see that happening, yes. Um, and in fact, I'm surprised that we're having this conversation at this point in, in, uh, in January with February right around the corner. I, I thought that Montreal would have dealt with this. I would love to be a fly on the wall for the conversations between Marty San Louis and Kent Hughes and Jeff Gorton talking about this very thing. 
because you talk to any ex-goaltender, and there are many of them who are analysts around the National Hockey League, and they basically all say the same thing. It's terrible. <laughs> and it's hard to get into any sort of routine. Um, you know, you talk about riding the hot hand, which teams often do when it comes to goaltending. Well, how do you get in that rhythm when you know that you've got to share the crease? And these guys, every player works hard in the NHL, be it in practice or in games. But practice reps aren't the same as playing in games. And and I think, Sean, we talked about this last week, but I'm just going to say it again to maybe correct the market here a little bit. You know, there's been so much speculation on, on various streams of media on what Hughes and the Montreal Canadiens need for Jake Allen, right? He's been the primary source of, of trade speculation. And, you know, the fact that it's believed that teams need the asking price to come down. Look, a good source is shared with me. Montreal hasn't established what the asking price is on Jake Allen. What they've done is had several conversations with teams that do have interest in Jake Allen, but because of the money involved, you know, either coming in, going out, whatever, the teams that Hughes is talking to are probably cap teams like Edmonton. You first have to get to a place where you can make the money work before you establish what the need is for Jake Allen. It's not going to be an exorbitant amount, but it's got to be fair value. It's got to be something that the Canadians can work with, and they're just not there yet. Talking with Darren Dreger here on The Morning Show on TSN 690. I'm Connor McKenna, Sean Starr with me here as well. We're with you until 10 o'clock this morning. And uh, I wanted to ask you about, uh, well, there's the Oilers, there's the Canucks, and there's the Jets. We've been throwing this around the last couple of days here, Darren. Uh, The Canadian team that has the best hope of uh, winning it all and ending this darn jinx once and for all. Look at that. I said darn. I'm so proud of myself. Uh, This was last night. Backing in Nugent Hopkins. Vogel, the only man to beat Bruce Lincolns tonight. Kulak, a drive. Redirects it off the post. Rebound. Score! Amanda Kane puts ahead to get ahead. It's 2-1. That's 14 in a row for the Oilers. And with all due respect to the Leafs, who just got leapfrogged by the Lightning after uh, uh, the performance from Nikita Kucherov last night, uh, I'm, no. not, I'm not going to put them in the conversation. You can go off the no. board and put them in if you no. want, but what do you think? Out of those three, who's our best hope right now? Yeah, Edmonton. And and not because of the obvious and the incredible run that they're on right now. It's it's how they're winning games. You know, you don't win the number of games consecutively that the Oilers have won and, you're, you know, run the table with that. No, you don't. You know, they've won games where they probably shouldn't have won or they've started slow and we've seen a few of those games but they've clawed back in or they've had off nights offensively but defensively they, they find a way to keep it tight and that's the pedigree the markings of a team that's ready to contend for the stanley cup to me so just break it down and we're not going to go player by player but Stu skinner is is you know giving them number one starts on a on a, on a continued basis here there are some who wonder whether or not they have enough depth, whether the tandem of Pickard and Skinner is enough. You know, we've seen teams that you have to rely on the tandem to go deep into the playoffs. You know, is, is that tandem strong enough? Well, let's see. Unless Kenny Holland can, you know, make a move for Jake Allen or another piece where he feels a little bit more comfortable. Uh, defensively across the board, they're playing with a level of commitment that they did not have in the first 15 to 20 games. So I, I, I think it's that. 
um, that is showing that this team has full buy-in. Now you throw Corey Perry in the mix, and we all know what Corey Perry can bring on ice, right? You know, he can be that agitator. If there's a role for him on the power play, he can be net front, and he can do some work there. There's lots of reasons to like the hockey player. Um, we'll see whether or not, you know, he fits with what they have moving forward. But I don't, guys, I don't think Kenny Holland is done yet. And it's, it's going to have to be the old quote unquote hockey trade dollar in, dollar out because they don't have the space. But I still think he wants to tinker a little bit if huh. the players are available to him between now and the deadline. So Edmonton would be, would be the top dog for me among the seven Canadian teams. Oh, are they going to go to war with, uh, with Skinner and Campbell? Campbell's, Killing it again at Abbotsford in the AHL, and Skinner yeah. and the and the and the guys at the pro level obviously are three wins away from establishing a, an NHL yeah. record set by the Penguins a billion years ago. I mean, do you see that as the as the future no. of Edmonton going into the spring? No, no, I don't. Um, and you know that's unfortunate for Jack Campbell. Um, you know, he his story is well documented. You know, he was waived, he cleared. He had a couple of good starts, a few good starts uh, in the American League, and then he faltered. And now he's he's back on track. I'm not saying that his NHL days are done, but I had a conversation not that long ago with somebody in Edmonton who suggested he was probably a buyout target in in the off season. Uh, but you're also you know not to defeat my my position here, but you're you're always just an injury away from opportunity. So if one of those guys, Skinner or Peckard, goes down, what options do you have? You know, unless it's long term and Holland can swoop in and and uh, you know grab some insurance via trade, then you may have to lean on Jack Campbell. But I I think that there's so much nervousness around where his game is at and what might happen. You know, if all of a sudden the wheels fall off and you're in a, a playoff run and Stu Skinner goes down, oh boy, that's a tough tandem. So I, I don't think they envision that at all at this stage. Did this Patrick Waugh thing really come out of nowhere, Dregs? Uh, in terms yeah. of, I, I mean, it certainly caught me by surprise. Did you, did you, did you hear whispers, or did Lou really keep this thing under his his hat? Yeah, he did. Uh, whispers of Patrick Waugh potentially. Returning to the NHL, yes, yes, but not specific to the New York Islanders. And I, I guess the reason that we didn't pursue it is because it's not like that speculation is new, right? You know, every time there's, uh, I'm going to call it a unique coaching situation that could be developing, you think of Patrick Juan. Why shouldn't you? I mean, I remember watching him not that long ago in May at the Memorial Cup in Kamloops, and man, I was just mesmerized by his passion and energy on the bench just his interactions with the players off ice all of that i just thought man he is just loving life as you should in a major championship like that but why wouldn't that you know uh translate to to running an nhl bench again um time served he left the colorado avalanche on his own terms he wasn't kicked out or fired so he's taking the time necessary. I'm sure he would have preferred to be back on an NHL bench long before now, but it just feels like the right fit. So now you, you shift it over to Lou Amarillo. Guys, Lou doesn't, he doesn't care what other people think. Yeah, I'm sure he listens to opinion, kind of, sort of. I mean, that's why you are surrounded by other management types. That's why you have scouting and, and all of that. End of the day, Lou Amarillo calls the shot. 
He didn't like the direction the team was going. He, he knows that there wasn't a trade available to him that was going to shift that. Uh, maybe felt like Wayne Lambert was a bit too vanilla, if you want, and felt like the energy and passion of Patrick Waugh was what they need to get back into the playoff mix at this point. So give him credit. Now, if it doesn't pan out and the Islanders falter and they're on the outside again, then it's it's up to a sage old general manager to perhaps pay the price. So we'll see towards the end of the year. Do you think he uh, he asked Patrick Waugh to shave the beard or Waugh just knows? Get get that get rid of that beard before you show up. Yeah, for that day probably work. the latter. Okay. But yeah. I'd be surprised if yeah. Lou said, "Sorry, bud. I, you know, I'm looking at you here, and you've got the the fuzzy face, and that's not cutting it. I'm not breaking my rule." So, but Patrick would know that, so he probably did it to avoid any sort of awkwardness. I, well, feel like, I, th- I think I'd shave before the interview. <laughs> well, like personally, you... if I'm you know if I if I'm doing my my first Zoom interview, yeah, or something exactly. Like, I'm like you know what, I think yeah, I'll probably shave. Well, before. you tell me how you feel because I saw some people here don't want them to think I'm a hippie. You, you know, know, they were writing about uh, or critical of the Canadians carrying three goaltenders, and and one of the opinion pieces was. Oh, Patrick Waugh, a man of such strong character, would never have stood for something like that. And I was thinking to myself, dude, you just shaved your face for a job. <laughs> like, come on, man. You just shaved your face for a job, brother. That's a good one. Yeah, it's <laughs> not going to matter that much. I, see, that's one of those things, without knowing Patrick Waugh very well personally, yeah. I think he would dismiss that immediately. Like, you're not questioning man's character or conviction based on whether he shaves or is asked to shave and says, I'm not like, come on, what are we talking about here? I think Patrick Ball would have said, yeah, whatever. I'm going to shave because I don't want it to be a big deal because that's what would have happened. If he didn't shave, then he goes to his media availability and that becomes headline news. So why bother? Darren, thank you. Okay, guys. Talk Friday. Coming up next. Remember that really uh, that the game in Kansas City a couple weeks ago against the Dolphins? It was so cold yeah, that yeah. Uh, Tua couldn't grip the football, et cetera, et cetera. During that game, this happened in Kansas City, okay? A guy in Kansas City claims he has three friends that came over to his house to watch the game, somehow ended up freezing to death in his backyard during the game. He didn't notice until a couple of days later when one of the guy's wives came looking for him and found him frozen in the backyard. Wow! You believe this guy? Could your friends freeze to death in your backyard without you noticing? Hank would notice, if nothing else. I would notice! The story is coming up next year on The Morning Show.